So we will continue today. Uh, if, if you were here last week, um, we, uh, you know, as we, we've hit quite a few, you know, kind of uncomfortable topics and things like that that um, we were trying to deal with. Um, coming from that perspective, that how we have been talking about, we are clearly in a, a heightened spiritual uh, uh, state where the spiritual battle to me is is definitely heated up <laughs> and uh, and so we've been looking at some different strongholds um strongholds both kind of from the 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 enemy side what are some of those strongholds that are being um uh, professed as truth um that are not and then also we've looked at different strongholds that we need to hold on to so we kind of go back and back and forth in those uh, last week I talked about the stronghold and it really was a coincidence. I, I'm not that good of a planner uh, for that sermon to come out in this month, which is Pride Month. Um, but it but it worked out that way. Um, and and you know, it's an uncomfortable topic because of of what is going on in our society. Right? It's it's become a a topic that is taboo or that immediately gets shut down or that you you know labeled bigoted or whatever it may be. And so we tried to lay out the case last week, you know that we, there is a clear sexual ethic in the Bible and there really is no room for for what is going on in our society, right? And there just there's just not. Now and I find myself this year, I don't know, maybe in a, maybe I'm just more aware or, um, I, I feel like it, it has been heightened in our society this, this month. It's, it's more prevalent now than it ever has been. It, it's, it's nearly that, that Satan sees an opportunity and, and it's like, okay, let's, let's bring this to the next level. Right? And, and I, so I find myself being very angry at times, right? You know, and then heartbroken because from a faith perspective, I believe that this is destroying people, that people are being lied to and convinced that certain lifestyles are just fine and have no consequence um, and that if they just lean into that, then everything will be fine. And that's heart, that should be heartbreaking. What we have to be careful on is that we don't allow our emotions of anger and heartbreak to turn into us being bitter or um, for sure becoming apathetic. But also we have to be careful in the way that we engage the world. Because you know you can have all the righteous anger that you want and you can justify it, but if that's how you approach the world, you're not going to be really doing a whole lot of good to help people Accept the truth and the love that comes from Christ. So, so, so today's going to kind of be a transition uh, sermon, and we're going to talk about some things next week that are specific examples that will really make us uncomfortable. But you know what? We're going to do it anyway because why not? But, uh, but today is kind of it's like how did we get here? Right? So you look at what's going going on in the world. It's like what is happening? And by the way, people feel that no matter what their faith background is people are like what's what's going on things feel it just it doesn't feel right 
Right? And, and so I, I think it's important that we kind of explore that. So today we're going to explore a little bit more the word affirm. We talked about that last week. I think one of the things that is, that is jumping out to me this year with uh, Pride Month is the, this idea of affirming lifestyles, right? And I think it's important for us to recognize all of us desire to be affirmed. And most of us prefer to just affirm other people. That's much easier and usually more pleasant and both people end up leaving with a smile. Right? Human nature, we kind of desire that, right? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's kind of, you know, there's, we, we desire to have that affirmation and we do, it's good. It feels good to give affirmation. And it's kind of like coaching softball. You know, it's much better for me. And this is basically what I do because I, I don't, I'm not a great, technical teaching all of the, the stuff like that. So it's a lot easier for me whenever a kid is hitting off the teeth, say, oh, great swing, good job, wonderful. And then I'll see and I'll go, you know, that's, that's really the worst swing I've ever seen in my life, right? But it, it's really uncomfortable for me to tell a 10-year-old girl, you know, sweetie, you're never going to hit the ball if you keep doing that. <laughs> so it's a lot easier for me just to affirm and say, oh, good job, it'll be fine. And it feels better for her just to hear that. Now, if she wants to become a better softball player, someone who knows what they're talking about needs to explain to her, no, here are some of the little things you need to change in order to be a better hitter. And then you can still affirm that, hey, you're doing a great job, but here are the things you need to change. We kind of run into that. That's a silly example. There is definitely a danger when we take that desire for affirming and we apply it on a societal level. And I think that is what we're starting to see. And it's been building for a long time. But it is, it is in your face now. Right? We, we, affirm, we, we, we affirm people for the gender that they choose. The way that they express themselves sexually, right? Well, let's just affirm that lifestyle, you know, and, and, you know, the, the idea of, well, I'm fine just the way that I am. I embrace, I embrace my inner self. There's all of these psychological words that are being used that we need to take a step back from and say, whoa, where is this leading? So I want to look at a passage. From that context, the idea of affirming, it's very familiar. It's in John chapter 8. It's a, it's a passage that uh, has been misused, uh, probably uh, just as every passage has at, at different times. This is a very familiar one. This is when uh, Jesus is with the woman, and uh, she is going to be stoned, um, and uh, all the religious leaders are there, uh, and Jesus basically rescues her, right? So we want to look at this and understand that all of us have a desire to be affirmed. But what does that look like biblically? All right, so before we get into it, just a quick history of leading up to this. This is, this is kind of the, the point in John's gospel where the scene changes, right? Where, where Jesus goes from being a popular teacher and someone who the, the, the crowds are getting interested in to 
the religious leaders are like, we need to take this guy out. Right? This, this is a, a very key transition point in the, the Gospel of John. So in uh, John chapter 7, you have Jesus that he's uh, speaking in the temple. The religious leaders have kind of sent some of their minions to go and, and uh, listen, and they kind of want them to shut Jesus up. They just don't want to get their hands dirty. Right? So it's like, you know, this guy's getting a little too popular. Um, you know, people are starting to, you know, that, that scary word Messiah is starting to come out of people's minds, uh, mouths. So we need to go ahead and get this guy and, uh, you know, discredit him now. But they wanted their guys to do it. So they go, they fail to do that. Kind of appears that they kind of liked maybe some of the things that Jesus was saying. And they come back and the religious leaders are like, why haven't you taken care of this? And, uh, and you have this kind of interesting interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a fascinating character in the Bible. Remember, he's the, uh, the one where, uh, you know, Jesus quoted John 3.16 to him. Or maybe Jesus made the statement and then now we quote John 3.16. But I, I don't think Jesus said, let me tell you about John 3.16. But uh, no, he was talking to, G, uh, to Nicodemus at that time. So Nicodemus, he's that religious leader. He uh, actually says, hey, let's just let's watch this guy. He's from Galilee. You know, what good can come from Galilee? I think Nicodemus is trying to diffuse a tense situation and he still want it. He's he's interested in Jesus. Right. So it's kind of fascinating there. But that leads us to this encounter. All right. So this encounter starts with the religious leaders wanting to stone a woman, and it ends with them wanting to stone Jesus. This is a, a major turning point. So starting at the very the last verse of chapter 7, uh, verse 53, and then uh, getting into chapter 8. It says, then, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All right. So this is a very familiar passage. It's a powerful passage, right? And it, uh, it, it speaks to, to a lot of different people. The first group of people, obviously, are the religious leaders that this is speaking to. And I think um, since you are here at church, this is this this does speak to us that we can fall into this trap of the religious leaders right, and to doing what they are doing. So that so that is part of, of what's going on here. So what they are doing 
is they are bringing this woman who is guilty, right? She, she is caught in the act of adultery. So she has done something wrong. She has broken God's moral law, right? Not just the law of the, the land. No, God's law. She is outside of, of the, the ethical norm that God has set before them. So the religious leaders in that sense are correct. They are correct to, to be accusing her of adultery and holding her accountable. Now, they're going to the extreme punishment of holding her accountable. There's lots of questions here too. It's like, you know, typically adultery, um, you know, happens with another person. So where's the other guy, right? Why isn't he there as well? Um, you know, that's going on. Obviously, they are using this woman. They could care less. This, this is my feeling. They could care less that she was caught in adultery. They are just using this opportunity to, to get Jesus. Right? They have no concern for her redemption. They have no concern about that, that she is just a tool to be used. And that, that is, that's a vital lesson here. <laughs> is we've got to be very careful that we don't ever just see people as their sinfulness. And we certainly don't just use people as ex- examples of sin- sinfulness, right? Because people are God's creation. They are created in the image of God. So it's, it's vital. They are, uh, they are using her in a, a very ungodly way. And at the same time, they are correct in that she is breaking God's law. Both of those things are true. But the religious leaders <laughs> think it's interesting what they're doing. And I started thinking about this, and, and what they are actually have done is they are affirming themselves by holding their standard of morality above someone else's standard of morality. Right? And so what, what we have to be careful with here <laughs> is it is easy to focus on other people's sinfulness and where other people are falling short of the moral ethic found in Scripture. It's, it's easy to hold people who are not living up to that, holding them accountable and pointing the attention there. And what that does is it can make you kind of feel good. Right? Because, look, hey, at least I, I'm not sinning like that. That person, ooh, they're, they're bad. Look, I, I am so good that I'm actually calling them out. Right? And, and all of a sudden, you kind of you can feel, receive some affirmation from that. Oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm elevating the, the scriptural ethic, and I'm holding this other person accountable. We have to be very careful with that, right? Because, as the religious leaders are about to find out, (laughs) we're all falling short of the biblical moral ethic. So so they bring this woman, and and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And I I love what happens, because I... Sometimes we think that Jesus is just this meek, mild, uh, you know, nice guy. Um, 
And even in this situation, in my head, sometimes I think of this as just a, a nice little peaceful thing that happens and everybody just walks away. No, I, I think this was extremely tense. Because you read what Jesus says in chapter 8, it's some of his harshest criticisms. And I mean, he, he is righteously angry. <laughs> he's, he's, he's mad. He's mad at the religious leaders. He's mad at what they have, have done. Right? And, and they were ready, I believe they were ready to stone this woman. Right? And Jesus, he just, he asked a simple question. Who without sin can cast the, the first stone? Man, that's a big risk. Because what if they say, you know what? All right, I'll do it. We all can rationalize our sin. Right? But Jesus is doing something that we don't fully know. He's doing something that is catching the attention of the religious leaders. So he's drawing in the sand. He's writing. That's one of the things that I hope that one day we'll, we'll know. I would love, love to know exactly what Jesus is, is writing. But whatever it is, and, and by the way, that was a common thing. Um, you know, they didn't have blackboards back then. Blackboard, man, that just kind of dated me, didn't it? <laughs> Because I, I mean, but when I was in school, there still were blackboards. Right. Now we were we were transitioning though. We were transitioning. Oh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but but uh, that was a normal tool, you know, of teaching. Teachers would write in the sand. They would, you know, it it got people's attention. So the religious leaders clearly are paying attention here. And all of a sudden, what happens? You go from this contentious moment. People grabbing rocks, ready to go. And all of a sudden, Jesus starts to write. And then he says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And then it kind of says something interesting. It says, they start to slowly leave oldest to youngest. It starts with the older one. Now, I don't fully know why that's important, but John thought that was important to include. And I think maybe because Maybe the older ones are a little wiser. You're, in theory, you're supposed to get a little bit wiser. Maybe Jesus was just writing down some sinful acts. And the older guys were like, Oh, I know where this is going. I'm out. <laughs> it's like, I don't want him to get to my sin. Maybe, maybe Jesus started writing their name. And a sin that they had committed. And they were like, oh, we, we better get out of here. I have no idea. I don't know what Jesus was writing. But it was clearly, it was hitting the religious leaders and it was making it very clear to them you have no moral leg to stand on. Not only are you sinful in the way you are treating this woman. But all of you deserve to be where this woman is. All of you have broken God's law. Right? And they start realizing that, and one by one, they leave. And then, so for us, there's a lesson there. We have to be very careful that we don't act like the religious leaders, that we don't just use people in their sinfulness to make ourselves feel better. Right? 
We have to be very careful of that. Now, this passage in the last part of this passage has been misused on the other side. And this is important to understand as well. So now you just have Jesus and this woman. Some say it may have been Mary Magdalene. We, we don't know. There's different theories and stuff like that. We really we don't know much. We know that she's there. All of a sudden, no one is there with rocks, and it's just Jesus. And he just asks her, is there anyone here to condemn you? She says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. That is a, a beautiful scene. I think sometimes it is, or I, I know it has been misused to justify not holding people accountable for their sin. But listen to what Jesus said. He said, neither do I condemn you. He doesn't say, I don't condemn your adultery. He doesn't say, all right, now that you've gotten off the hook, be a little bit more discreet in your adultery. He doesn't say that. He says, I don't condemn you. What, what was going through his mind there? I, what, I, what I believe was going through his mind is he is seeing this woman as a child of God, as a woman who is created in God's image. And he is not condemning her as a person. She is valued. She is loved by God. Jesus loves her, wants what's best for her, does not condemn her. But Jesus says another line that is extremely important for us to hold on to. And he says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus specifically does condemn the sin. He says, you need to stop it. You need to quit living that life of adultery. He is very clear about that. So using our term of affirmation, Jesus affirms who she is in that she is created in the image of God. She is a, a child of God. He affirms her. He specifically does not affirm her lifestyle. He does not affirm what she has done. And we don't know how she responds. Right? That's up to her. But Jesus makes very clear that he loves her, but that he condemns a life of sin and that he desires for us to leave a life of sin. And then the next thing that he says is he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk in dark, will, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, I think what's happening in our society today is we have swung the other way where <laughs> it's a lot easier just to affirm not only the woman, but just affirm her lifestyle. 
That's a, it's a whole lot easier. It's, it's not as messy. Right? Just, just affirm whatever, whatever you may feel, you know, the, the way that you feel that day. I mean, we're seeing this specifically in, when it comes to, to gender and to sexual issues. But I mean, all of a sudden, this, within the last few, four years or so, we are, it's okay to affirm children who say, you know what, I may not be a boy. I'm, maybe I'm a girl. I mean, it's, it's happening at rapid pace. And there's a case being made that the best way to handle that is to just affirm how they feel. That is extremely dangerous. If you take that to its logical end, what that means is that you just affirm people's lifestyles, whatever they choose their lifestyle to be. And what is interesting about this, and this again, this is kind of the hat, hat tip to the satanic work that's going on out there, is that if, if everything is affirmed, then there is no darkness. You think that you're walking in light, but it's light that you have created, which is not light at all. Right? And so now, we've, if you just continue to affirm and affirm and affirm, then it's like, okay, well, you know what? Everybody just do as they want. And everybody feels better about themselves. But that is just, that's not the truth. Jesus makes clear who is the light. It's not us. It's not our self-righteousness. Right? Sometimes our self-righteousness makes us feel good. Like it's, it's pretty easy for me to see some of the things that are going on and say, you know what? That is demonic. Right? And I can feel kind of self-righteous on that. And I can say, you know what? I'm, I'm walking in the light. But you know what? That, you've got to be careful with that because that self-righteousness, that can be light that you're creating for yourself. And on the other side is the same thing. Is that, you know what? I'm just going to affirm whatever my lifestyle is. Whatever feels good, I'm going to do it. And so then all of a sudden you create a life that you feel like, oh, this is walking in light. But if it's light that you have created, it's actually darkness. And that's what Jesus is reminding us of. That light is only found in Him. The only affirmation that leads to walking in light is the affirmation that comes from Him. Which is an affirmation that acknowledges the reality of sin and the need for us to change. The, the idea of affirmation and how it is so pervasive goes fully against the gospel message. The gospel message is not, hey, you're good where you are. You're doing great. The gospel message is all of you are screwed up. <laughs> all of you. It doesn't matter how long you've been going to church. You're, it doesn't matter how, how righteous of a life that you live. And you may live a truly righteous life. But guess what? There's areas in there that you are falling short. The gospel message doesn't focus and say, you know what, you've, you've got 50% of it. Actually, you're at 51%. You're good enough. No, the gospel message is, hey, you, all of us have fallen short and we need to do better. It calls us to repent, to change our life, which inherent in that is that there is sinfulness. There are things that we don't need to participate in. And we live in a culture that hates that idea. 
which is why this is coming from a very dark place. Because if you affirm everything, there is no need for God. There is no no need, and I believe that is the purpose of what's going on right now, is to convince us as a society, hey, if everything is permissible, then there really is no darkness. We're walking in light already, so why do we need this God that tells us that there's right and wrong? We're doing right as as it is. And there are a lot of us, and all of us can can fall into that trap. So we have to constantly be looking at ourselves. And we need to make sure that we do not allow what is becoming pervasive in society. And it's tough, right? But we cannot give in to that. We have to stand up for what is true. And it's tough now because you, you can just give the basic message of what Jesus says and you get called bigoted, you get called racist, you get called homophobic, all of those things. And sometimes people present that view in bigoted ways. And guess what? We can't do that either. But I, I just encourage you, do not get, do not get discouraged. Right? Know, <laughs> know that the victory is already won. Right? But also... Recognize there's a lot of darkness out there right now. And you're going you're gonna to be angry at times with that. But also know that there are a lot of people that are getting pulled into that darkness and being convinced that it's, it's good. And we have to speak against that. We have to share the true message of the gospel. And it's a message that does divide and it's a message that's uncomfortable, but it's a message that we have to live out in our lives. And God will give you the opportunity to share that message. We're, we're at a different, different time. Culture is changing. And I don't know exactly where it's headed. Well, I know where it's headed. <laughs> I don't exactly know, know if it's going to, going to pull up or not. <laughs> I'm hoping the pilot's pulling back, right? But no matter what happens, we know the victory's ultimately already won. But we should care about people enough. We should care about that woman the way that Jesus cared about her. And that we see her as someone created in the image of God and has been deceived and has been convinced that they can live life however they want and it's going to be okay. Well, we know that's not true. And we need to care enough about her. We need to care enough about that person who is now claiming to be a guy when they were a girl yesterday. We need to care enough about them that we speak the truth, but we don't condemn them. But we do condemn the lies. And we condemn the sin. And we never affirm what is ungodly. That is vital. And I encourage us to stand up for what is true. Let's go to him in prayer.